traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. And welcome to Radio Free Canada News and Notes from the Underground for Tuesday, August the 24th. Well, I see the province of British Columbia has now reversed course just what, maybe three months, maybe not quite three months after assuring its citizens they would not by any means introduce a vaccine passport system. Well, of course, now they're doing precisely that. Proper documentation will be required to access non-essential businesses and events. And if you believe it'll stop there, you probably also take the Taliban at its word that they've changed. They really have. They're a kinder, kinder, gentler uh, Taliban. Meanwhile, You'll also need your papers in order to uh, attend one of our great national pastimes, a professional baseball game here in Toronto. Interesting, though, weren't these multimillionaires who play a child's game for multi-billionaires given an exemption to crisscross the U.S.-Canada border while the rest of us plebes, the rest of us great unwashed, could not because it was, I don't know, in the national interest? So let me see if I'm following this. It's in the national interest for them to play baseball, but apparently it's not in the national interest for everyone to go and watch baseball. Again, unless you have your papers in order. Uh, And while more and more of us are being required to show our papers in more and more places, soon to be essential businesses like grocery stores, doctors, appointments. uh, No, don't doubt that for a minute. But, But people without proper papers... People without proper papers, documents, are being celebrated in Toronto today for uh, something called Undocumented Residence Day. That's right. Illegal immigrants, we used to call them, being celebrated in Toronto today by North America's most ridiculous mayor and his silly council. Today is Undocumented Residence Day. 
Again, you remember undocumented residents. Up until about five minutes ago, we referred to them as illegal immigrants. And make no mistake, it's on the books. It's a crime to overstay a visitor's visa or a tourist visa or a temporary worker's visa. But never mind, because no one is no one is illegal unless you're unvaccinated. So but but why stop? Why stop at paper vaccine passports? If we're going to go totally East Germany, let's do this right. Let's go all the way. How about ankle monitors for the unvaccinated? Who's with me? They're perfectly fine. Ankle monitors, perfectly fine and well suited for child rapists and repeat sex offenders. Why not ankle uh, monitors for the unvaccinated? Think I'm joking? There's a public school now in Washington state forcing unvaccinated teens to wear ankle monitors, ankle bracelets. Drew Allen is a young conservative writer and host of the Drew Allen Show. And uh, he'll be here this hour again uh, very shortly, in fact, to discuss this. Uh, the, uh, the school year, just a couple of weeks away. Hard to believe, but true. And it's not going to be normal. It's going to be far from a normal year. Students as young as five will be forced to wear a face mask all day. Despite the fact there is no real data underlying that policy, none. But it won't end there. Stephen Leachy, Ontario's Minister of Education, wants school boards to hold vaccination clinics in or near schools. And that's fine. We've been vaccinating kids in schools since forever. What's concerning this time is it's not exactly clear whether your child, when you send them off to school, will be vaccinated without your consent. Without your consent. Now, I don't care if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. If that doesn't worry you, that minors can be vaccinated without parental consent, then I really have very little to say. I mean, if you're okay with that, let, then let's just stop pretending we even care to live in a Western democracy or that a charter of rights matter or that the Hippocratic Oath or the Nuremberg Code, for that matter, matters. Karen Selleck is a terrific writer, occasional contributor and columnist with the Western Standard and a, a former litigation lawyer. And she'll be here to tell us more about parental consent or lack thereof and vaccines in public schools in Ontario. You might want to stick around for that, assuming you care. I hope so. I hope you care. If uh, if you're concerned about what's happening in our public schools with or without your knowledge, you may be among a growing number of parents who've decided they've had enough and are going to go homeschool their children, just as our ancestors did for generations. And that's exactly why we reserve a segment every Tuesday on this program to discuss that very topic, homeschooling. Ruth Gazgowski is a veteran homeschooler and She'll be here to provide some sound advice and resources for those of you preparing for the homeschooling journey. I did it. Most gratifying thing I've ever done. Have a listen around uh, 10 minutes to five for that one. Hour two, of course, news not in the news. The German phrase of the day and another installment of Heroes and Villains. And we'll hear from a retired U.S. Navy SEAL who delivers a speech he'd like to hear from President Joe Biden after the uh, Afghanistan debacle. Coming up in our feature segment, uh, now that we're nicely into election 2021, uh, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about some of the key campaign issues, campaign blunders. Lori Goldstein is a member of the Canadian News Hall of Fame and a columnist with the Toronto Sun. He's our feature guest today. Ankle monitors, Lou. Ankle monitors. What do you think of that? 
Well, you know, I think that if you actually uh, asked that they be put on drunk drivers, they'd be, a, you know, a hue and a cry. Right. Hue and a cry. It's against their rights. Blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. If you propose to put ankle monitors on uh, repeat sex offenders, there'd be a hue and a cry about an infringement on their rights. Exactly. So how, so how is it that uh, we forget about that and we focus on uh, young students who are not vaccinated? Seems there ridiculous to me. So I think we need to accept that logic has taken a holiday. It's been, you know, uh, subjected to internment on its own. And uh, we're just in this daffy, you know, behind the mirror type of wonderland that Alice went to a long time ago. The, the concern I have now, not now, I think from the get go is that, you know, it's it's difficult to gauge how rapidly we could easily descend into. I mean, I joked about East Germany, but that's where we're headed. And I th- people just seem to have this blase attitude. It was a, a very famous federal court judge in the U.S. who talked about this, who said, you know, once the people lose their will to preserve liberty, it doesn't matter. You know, politicians can pass laws. The courts can rule one way or the other. It doesn't matter. It's gone and it's gone forever. And, you know, when you have people wishing death upon the unvaccinated, I played that clip from that crazy person on uh, Twitter the other day, and there's a real anger now being directed at the unvaccinated. And and no doubt people are cheering this measure. Yes, ankle monitors. Let's do it. It's just it's like the mob is, you know, carrying pitchforks and torches through the streets. I think the quiet population, those of us that don't go to protest, don't scream and yell and just show up with our uh, mandate to vote our franchise and decide what kind of world we want to live in. I think we're at a a flex point and we're either going further, uh, deeper behind the looking glass or we're going to back off and say that was scary what happened let's not do that again right there's been many instances where we've gone too far you know if you look at the uh the i think it's called the ultra x or ultra uh experiments that were conducted in canada where we let the cia come in and dose a bunch of canadians oh mk ultra mk ultra there you go uh you know dose a bunch of canadians with high levels of LSD just to see how it worked. Right. Right. And I think that from that, we backed away. And, you know, sadly, it's taken way too long. But I think even the residential school debacle, you know, at some point in the near uh, in the near past, we've walked back from that and said, whoa, we can't be doing that again. That was wrong. Right. So hopefully we'll have that kind of a uh, experience backing away from insanity. I, I think you're exactly right. This is an inflection point in history. And we say this every four years. This is the most important election in a generation. And let's be honest, you know, it, they weren't previously. But this, I think we can honestly say, this is it. I mean, we may only have one more shot. This might be the, the, the last shot we have to turn around this madness. Yeah, well, here we go. September the 20th, I got my franchise. I know what I'm going to do with it. And I just noticed that Jody's back uh, operating the show today. Welcome back, Jody. 
it's kind of a tandem. It's kind of like uh, uh, co and co-captain. We've got Jacob. You see Jacob there. Yeah. And we've got Jody. You see, this show is so hard to handle, so difficult to manage, so sophisticated and intricate and complicated. It takes we two technical. Well, we need witnesses. There's that too. Yes, we need an in- yes for the inquest. For yes, the inquest. that's right. <laughs> the Inquisition, Quasimodo. All right, we'll talk to you in an hour, buddy. Happy capitalism. Happy capitalism. All right, from two weeks to flatten the curve to mandating unvaccinated students to wear ankle monitors. You heard me, ankle monitors. That story is next. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. According to an exclusive story with our friends at the Post Millennial, a 15 year old girl in Washington state was allegedly forced to wear an ankle tracking a tracking monitor for volleyball practice at Eatonville High School uh, in Washington as a condition of participating in team sports here to discuss is our good friend, Drew Allen, host of the Drew Allen show. He's also a Texas bred California based and millennial author, columnist and political analyst, and the author of uncommon sense. Hey, Drew, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Hey, Richard doing all right, friend. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Babylon Bee, uh, but this almost sounds like a story from the Babylon Bee, the satirical news site. Unvaccinated teen forced to wear an ankle monitor, something we usually reserve for child rapists, repeat sex offenders. She wants to participate in a high school volleyball practice. They wake they make her wear an ankle monitor. Have you ever heard of such a uh, I don't know. This is a dystopian nightmare. No, it is a dystopian nightmare. And and I had the exact same thought that you just expressed now. Our our children, innocent children who are trying to go to practice, they're being treated like criminals. People who are convicted rapists, convicted, uh, uh, you know, uh, people guilty of assault. And what's their crime? They haven't been vaccinated. And furthermore, what what kind of a generation is ahead of these children who think that they can treat other people's children in such a way. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't understand the rationale, not only for ankle monitors, but vaccine passports in general, when now we know the data is pretty clear on this. If you're vaccinated, you can still transmit the the disease. You can still get the disease. And if you're unvaccinated, obviously, you can still transmit and, and, and get the disease. So based on that, then doesn't the rationale, the logic for either an ankle monitor or a vaccine passport, doesn't that just completely evaporate? Well, of course it does. But that would assume that we're living in a sane society that still has rational brains. And the thing that I'm realizing, Richard, we're never going to win any arguments with the left or even Republicans in this country who are all for their, you know, they're all scared of COVID still. They're all in favor of of mandating vaccines. We're not going to win any conversations with them about science because the science is whatever they choose it is on any given day. You know, what this ultimately comes down to is irrationality. It's freedom versus slavery. And you know what? I went back today, Richard, and I listened to news reporting from CBS in 2018, the beginning of 2018. And they were discussing the 2017-2018 flu influenza that year, which was one of the worst we've had in at least a decade at that time. And it was the same reporting. I kid you not. They lead off with a story saying 
two healthy mothers who had children died of the flu, perfectly healthy. They go to the hospital in Florida and they have somebody being interviewed there and they say, oh my gosh, we're moving beds into the conference rooms because we're overrun. There are flu cases. We've got reports of a healthy child, a young son who's eight, nine, 10 years old. It's the common cold and he died from it. So, you know, the alarmism was present there. But we accepted the flu because, like I've said before, we have AC and BC before COVID and after COVID. And before COVID, we were sane and rational to society and just understood that life came inherently with risks. And now in this after COVID period we're in, in which we live in a new dark age in which reason and common sense have been thrown out the window. Now, no death is tolerable only if it's from COVID. Right. So, I mean, where do you... (laughs) almost impossible to gauge, I'm sure, given that everything seems to change every five minutes. But where do you think this is headed? So, for example, we have something like I heard 900 nurses in Houston are resigning uh, because they refuse to take the vaccination. They're going to be if they don't take it, they'll be fired. So I guess they're resigning. Uh, And yet, you know, we're told that we have ICU units that are being filled and hospital beds being filled by the unvaccinated. It's such a it's such a horrible dangerous situation drew that they're firing nurses over this how bad can it be well and i just want to point out something else too richard because you're right you have scenarios in which people who don't want to be vaccinated in the healthcare industry are are resigning from their positions okay which obviously leads to more shortages in an already uh, uh you know environment in healthcare in which we have shortages but not only do we have that we now have these instances of doctors who are saying they're going to walk out because they're not going to treat people who are not vaccinated because they're putting their lives at risk. And I'm sorry, we've just got to draw a line here and just call these people what they are insane. They are derelict of their duties and responsibilities. And I mean, like I said, I just point out the flu again, what the flu couldn't have gotten any of these, these healthcare workers. This is politics. Politics is destroying this country. Politics is bringing this nation to her knees. Politics is the suicide of America. Well, let's let's hope uh, that, that, you know, this is we keep seeing these cracks in the dam and, and we say we convince ourselves. Surely this is as far as this can go. This madness now has to stop. I'm not I'm not confident about that anymore, but let's hope that that dam is going to break pretty darn sure or pretty darn soon. Uh, Drew, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Richard. There's still hope. OK. All right. That's a that's a, a wise word. Indeed, we have to we can never despair. Drew Allen, host of the Drew Allen Show podcast. And uh, he's also the author of Uncommon Sense. Back with uh, more of the Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Don't go away. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. So does Ontario plan to vaccinate your child at school without your consent? Stephen Leachy, Ontario's Minister of Education, says in order to keep schools safe, he wants Ontario school boards to hold vaccination clinics in our schools or in or near our schools. But there seems to be some confusion as to whether your child will require your consent in order to receive the jab, Karen Selleck is a columnist for the Western Standard, a former litigation lawyer for the Canadian Constitutional Foundation. She's on top of this story as usual. Karen, welcome. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Well, <laughs> as well as can be expected in these crazy times. So right. this uh, announcement by uh, uh, 
Stephen Leachy to, um, to the school boards across Ontario. He wants them to open vaccine clinics uh, at, in schools or near schools. Nothing unusual about that. We, you know, we've been vaccinating kids in schools for generations. Yeah, but you see, I was you vaccinated say, in school at the age of five or so. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. But but you see, you say here that there is some confusion as to whether parental consent will be required in these cases. So uh, just kind of walk me through the how you arrived at uh, at this. Right. So um, I, I looked at the news release from the Ontario government dated August 16th. So that's eight days ago. And it's um, you know, it's not written in with the greatest clarity, but it says um, Where's the part here? Uh, hang on just a sec. It says, with respect to consent at school-focused clinics, COVID-19 vaccines will only be provided if informed consent is received from the individual, including eligible students, and as long as they have the capability to make this decision. So ordinarily, you need to have informed consent before you perform a medical procedure on anyone. And usually, if the people are on, you know, that are going to have the procedure are under 18, you look to the parents to give consent. There are some exceptions where, you know, in emergencies, um, you know, if a child seems to have a person under 18 and seems to have all their faculties capable of understanding and so on, you can perform um, a medical procedure without parental consent. But if you're planning to do this to all the students, you know, under 18 and under, um, it seems very strange that they're saying we will be allowing students to make the decision. So they say, are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Eligible students, as long as they have the capability to make this decision, they'll, the, the vaccinators will be satisfied with that as informed consent and not necessarily require the consent of the parents. And it goes on later to say, um, healthcare providers, the schools and families must respect a young person's decision regarding vaccination. So clearly they're going to be asking the students and then they say the families have to respect that instead of it being sort of the other way around, which is the normal state of affairs. Well, you know, as a former lawyer, uh, isn't it pretty much accepted in law, certainly in tradition and culture, that if you're a minor, if you are not of the age of consent, you cannot give informed consent. Isn't that basically how the law operates? 
yeah, that's that's the basic rule. But as I said earlier, if there's, you know, in some emergency where, you know, a kid is bleeding on the street um, and you don't know where the parents are, you can't reach them, you know, then certainly a child can consent um, in those urgent circumstances. But these aren't urgent circumstances of that kind. You know, if you're planning to give vaccinations to people, it's still a few weeks away, although they said that they're going to be opening these clinics up, you know, before school. But it's still in the future. And there's no reason at all why parents shouldn't be consulted and, you know, their consent sought. Right. Right. Now, the, the other obvious question is, you know, I'm reading as much of the material as I can on vaccinations. I think I would have a great difficulty in giving informed consent simply because, first of all, I, despite FDA approval in the United States, we're only six months into a two year trial, clinical trial. Even the FDA has admitted we don't have long term studies, long term data. So, you know, for me as an adult who reads an awful lot, I don't think I can give informed consent at this stage. In fact, I've made that decision at right now. I can't give informed consent. How could we possibly expect a 16 year old to give informed consent? Yeah, I have several, several responses to that. I don't think anyone at this point is even being asked. I think, you know, they say that something like 70 to 80 percent of the population now have all have been vaccinated or even double vaxxed. And I frankly don't think that the people who administered those injections were asking correctly for informed consent, because I think a lot of them don't have the facts themselves. And so I'm particularly concerned about the fact that they are not raising with the people that they are injecting. They're not raising the um, you know, the very shocking statistics that are available on the VAERS database, that's the U.S. government's database, Vaccine Adverse Events uh, Reporting System. There's like almost 600,000. When I looked last Friday, the latest data, there were 595,000 reports filed of adverse events. That's a lot. And 13,000 deaths, more than 13,000. You know, vaccines have been withdrawn in the past you know, decades ago when there were 25 deaths, not 13,000. So how many of people, this this information is not very widely known. You're one of the few, um, you know, radio shows or media outlets where this is even being discussed. How many people who have gone for these shots were anywhere near informed about the possible adverse events? I suggest very few. And you're quite right, 16-year-olds will be even less well-informed. Um, you know, and and who know who knows even what age they're proposing to allow these kids to be considered eligible students. We you know, that's not even defined in there. It's not a term that's defined in law. They've got it in their news release. You know, eligible students will be will be allowed. But who's eligible? I don't know. Um, will inducements be offered? I don't know. You know, take your take your vaccine and get out of art class or whatever you don't like. Right. Know. Inducements or coercion, which we've seen. Obviously, we're all being subjected to that right now. Want to go to a baseball game? Too bad. You don't have your papers. Karen, we'll take a quick time out. We'll uh, come back and discuss further. Karen Sell, a columnist, uh, writer, uh, contributor to the Western Standard. Back with more in a minute. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 a.m. Welcome back. Karen Selleck stays with us, contributor to the Western Standard, former litigation lawyer for the Canadian Constitution Foundation. We're talking about this announcement, I guess, last week from Ontario's Minister of Education, Stephen Leachy. And uh, he's uh, he's asking Ontario school boards to hold vaccination clinics in or near schools. And there seems to be some a lack of clarity, let's say, as to whether children 
Uh, and the COVID or the, the Pfizer vaccine has been approved for children 12 and older, uh, unless I'm mistaken, 12 and older. So there seems to be some confusion as to whether children will need parental consent to receive the, uh, the jab. So um, as a lawyer, I mean, I thought that the Supreme Court has already ruled on forced medical procedures. And in fact, they ruled against. So, I mean, is there any legal ground here for for schools to suggest or for Stephen Leachy to suggest he can vaccinate children without parental consent? Isn't that against the law, in other words? Well, okay, so it's clearly against the law to force an individual to take a medical procedure against their will. Um, You know, and when I say an individual, anybody over the age of 18. But under the age of 18, you usually have to rely on the consent of whoever their legal guardian is, probably the parents in most cases. Um, But this whole question of what constitutes consent is now going to be, you know, re-examined. We've never been in circumstances like this before where people have been, on the one hand, offered such inducements and on the other hand, offered such, you know, punishment for failing to comply. And I think that's going to develop whole new areas of law on what constitutes consent, what constitutes coercion, um, when consent is freely given. You know, all of these things are pretty clear in the old, um, you know, the old case law that consent must be freely given. Uh, You know, you can't be facing coercion. But the types of the suggestions that are being made now show that there's been a huge shift in mindset among the population at large as to what constitutes coercion and constitutes consent. And it may very, very well be that judges have been carried along with this with this wave of you know philosophical wind change that I don't like to see. But right. I mean, I, 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 would, I would agree that this goes even beyond. I mean, as serious as this is, uh, this this quagmire, legal quagmire that we're entering into, I think threatens to unravel, you know, the, the basis of our entire legal legal system. It might. <laughs> yes, there's, there's all kinds of questions that have never been answered, before, never been asked before, certainly never been answered before. And, you know, a lot of us suspect that politicians are being either um, threatened, bribed, offered inducements, um, you know, there's a threatened with blackmail. There's all kinds of things that might be going on with politicians, but they may also be going on with judges. We don't know about this. And there's just been um, a couple of cases that were recently decided in Ontario, or rather not decided, where people were bringing constitutional challenges. One was the Adamson barbecue case, Adam yes. Skelly. Um, the other one was um, Roman Babber, the, the MPP. His case was recently just you know, the decision was handed down um, a few days ago. I think it was Thursday or Friday last week. And uh, basically, the judges in both of those cases found an excuse to sidestep tackling the hard decisions. So nobody tackled the real constitutional questions. That is, do these lockdowns and do these policies violate the charter? Instead, in the Adamson case, they said, um, you didn't do your paperwork right. You know, come back when you've got your paperwork redone. And in Roman Babber's case, they said, uh, you don't have standing to to raise this issue. Well, you know, I think they that decision might well be wrong, but now he's going to have to appeal that um, and waste more time and more money to get that const- the real crux of the issue, the constitutional challenge back before another judge. So this is right. very discouraging. And it, it does lead you to wonder what kind of pressure is being put on judges. Is it the same as being put on politicians and bureaucrats and 
on doctors. Right. It, was, it was the other case uh, out west regarding hotel quarantines. And, and the judge ruled that it doesn't meet the test of forcible confinement, which seemed to me, I mean, that should be a tap in a no brainer. Uh, you're right. It seems like not only are the politicians against the people, but the courts are against the people. The police now seem to be against the people. It, 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 it almost leads one to despair, Karen. There are, I think there are lots of good people who are just leaving their occupations rather than put up with the kind of conflict that it exposes them to. My own doctor, who I would have thought, I know he has never hassled me over vaccinations over all the years. I've never had a flu shot and he's never given me a problem about that, even though doctors actually are incentivized to make sure that all their patients have flu shots. They get a bonus depending on what percentage of their patients get flu shots, but he never hassled me over that. But rather than deal with this, he was in his 70s, he retired. And I think that I've heard about a lot of nurses, doctors, anybody who's even got that possible route out the door rather than put up with the, you know, the um, dictates that the College of Physicians and Surgeons have put out, for instance, saying, you know, your license could be on the line if you don't uh, maintain the standard narrative. I think people are quitting. So that what you're going to have left is the ones that are you know, willing to go along with tyranny. And maybe that's the uh, the whole point, right? Maybe that's by design. Karen, always appreciate Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Appreciate your time and your hard work and diligence. Thank you so much. I'd be happy to be on anytime, Richard. Bye-bye. You're always welcome. Karen Sella, columnist, writer, contributor to the Western Standard, former litigation lawyer for the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Well, if you're disturbed by this story and are thinking about pulling your kids out of homeschooling, we've got some advice with our homeschooling advisor, Ruth Gaskowski. That's coming up next. Stay with us. Hey, Richard Serrett here, along with Dr. Cass Ingram, author of 30 books on natural healing. Cass, let's talk about a product my family and I have been using for years, the Oregano P73 for immune support. That's a good one. That's going to be mountain-grown wild oregano up to 12,000 feet, then extracting that with steam. And that's the most powerful germ killer known in immune support. So if there's one thing you got to do, it's the Oregano P73, and boom, you get the benefit. And what are some of the benefits? Well, you've got the bacteria, viruses, parasites, and fungus knock those down. Immune system, white blood cells, more active. And you can take this every day just so you don't get sick. Why not? One product, one big benefit. Thanks, Cass. North American Urban Spice Oregano P73, available in local health food stores across the GTA. Or you can order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. Oregano.com. 
Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. You know, math can be an intimidating topic for many parents. It certainly was for me. Uh, a lot of you may be wondering about homeschooling uh, and, and you're thinking, I'm not strong in math. How could I possibly teach my child math if I don't understand math? Well, not to worry. Ruth Gaskowski joins us uh, every week at this hour to, uh, to help us along in our homeschooling journey. Ruth, how are you? Hi, Richard. Very well. Thanks for having me. All right. So that's, I'm guessing that this is uh, maybe math and science are the two subjects that kind of intimidate a lot of parents and maybe even um, make them decide they don't want to homeschool. So how can you assuage those those uh, feelings, those anxieties? All right. Yeah, I think math can certainly strike the fear in, in the heart of many a parent. And as I'm thinking back, I remember my high school teacher in Switzerland telling me once that, well, while I was doing great in all other subjects, I really couldn't get any worse in math. So I certainly emphasize, uh, but it's important to remember that teaching math at home doesn't generally start with calculus and trigonometry, which is kind of uh, the stuff of our nightmares. It really starts with basic fundamentals. And I think that every parent can learn to teach. And just to give uh, the parents some added reassurance, uh, the Ontario Institute of Studies and Education tested every student teacher in Ontario in 2018. And they found that even though all of them were top university graduates, a full third of them were unable to pass the sixth grade EQA math test for children. So parents take heart. (laughs) Um, So if kind of teaching math makes you feel nervous, Homeschool math curricula has been around for about two decades, so way before COVID ever hit. um, There's been curricula out there helping parents to teach their children at home. So this is great news because there's a great variety of excellent math curricula, and they provide help and guidance at all levels, from kindergarten all the way up through high school. Many of them even provide uh, a daily script. So if you don't even know where to start, (laughs) you start on day one and you basically just read along. It moves you along day by day, step by step. And it's really a great opportunity uh, rather than something that should strike us with fear because you can help to strengthen your child's math skills uh, because you can select a curriculum that matches their learning style and also that matches their pace and can also maybe address certain areas of weakness that they might have been struggling with at school. So this is really a time where you can kind of fill in those gaps and address those that otherwise might get missed in school. And what's even more important is you can help them really lay a very strong foundation in math basics. And here I mean addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Those are essential for forming abstract thinking skills in later grades, like grade eight and up. Because what we found, uh, or what studies find in higher math, students that uh, have been allowed to kind of move along but don't have the uh, fundamentals, they are really quite helpless once it gets to high school math. And one of the problems can be that in schools, often students are allowed to use calculators very early on, which means they know how to press the buttons, but they don't really get the concrete ideas of why the answers mean what they mean. And those are the students that when they have to encounter more abstract thinking in higher levels, they really uh, falter and they don't know what to do. So homeschooling uh, during this phase is a really a great opportunity rather than something that should intimidate us. 
Right. So let's talk about some of the specific uh, resources. So, for example, the mighty Aphrodite and I, we used uh, a program called Math UC that was yeah, developed by a teacher, a teacher, I believe, out in Alberta, uh, Mr. Demi. Yeah. Yeah, that's on my list here, too. So I'll give you some specifics. And I'm not assuming that people are taking notes as, as we go along, but everything is listed on my website. I have all the links there, all the links to the free trials or where you can order these things. So, uh, But I'll just address a selection of them here. So in early years, students really need concrete uh, kind of uh, programs that have uh, things that you can touch, manipulatives, um, to really get the concrete ideas before they move to the abstract. So Matthew C., as you mentioned, is a great one for that, has good manipulatives to uh, introduce students to the fundamentals. Right start math is something we used. It's excellent for elementary and middle school. It uses an abacus method that's very popular in uh, Asia as well, where students don't count, but they actually visualize numbers, uh, and it leads to very quick um, math skills, kind of thinking math um, kind of being able to do very quick mental math abacus uh, strategies are great for that. Uh, right Start Math also has a games kit, which can be used um, for all students up to grade eight and uh, practices everything from decimals, fractions, simple addition, and can always uh, provide a lot of variety. Math Mammoth is a very... Um, good solution that's not very expensive uh, and there's even something called Beast Academy where the guidebooks are actually comic books and it might sound silly but that's actually a very highly rated uh, program that is used by students who then move along to math competitions. Comic uh, books? It, where, where were they when I was taking trigonometry Ruth? I know and this is what they're saying where were they when we were doing math and uh, they actually provide excellent uh, practice in logic puzzles and uh, very interesting math practice that you might not usually find. So um, that's an excellent uh, option as well for younger students. For older students, if you want to take a hands-off approach and say, I can't touch this with a 20-foot <laughs> pull um, because it just gets too abstract for you, there's um, teaching textbooks. It provides um, teaching, con it teaches the concepts, it has uh, guides the students through the problem step by step with solutions, with grading. CTC Math is another one that has that. And Khan Academy, I've mentioned before, is a great go-to for support when um, your students get stuck in a particular concept and just needs a bit of explanation in one particular area. And um, there's also something called CK12, which is a free resource. Khan Academy is free. CK12 is free. All of those have videos to guide students along as well as practice exercises. And, um, okay, I was, I was just going to mention uh, also uh, for highly competitive students who want to practice at higher levels for calculus or trigonometry or uh, prepare for AP exams, Online schools are a great option. They have excellent instructors, and they they really get the one-on-one -on -one attention uh, they might need, as well as the class environment uh, to give them the practice uh, to uh, practice for those more challenging maybe exams. All right, and all of these resources are listed on your website, Ruth, www.humanitas.net, H-U-M-A-N, like human, humanitas, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-A-S, family.net humanitas family.net and um, you know again people should not be intimidated uh, 
uh, with the prospect of teaching uh, math. Don't let that be the deciding factor if you're contemplating homeschooling your kids. Ruth, always a pleasure. Thank you. We'll talk again next week. And uh, Ruth will be back with us live starting next week. All right. Hour two awaits. Lou, of course, news not in the news, the German phrase of the day, an installment of heroes and villains and Toronto Sun columnist, Canadian News Hall of Fame member, Laurie Goldstein, with a few uh, tidbits on the uh, election campaign. Back with hour two of the Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Hey, welcome back. Hour two. We've got uh, Lori Goldstein joining us. He's an editor emeritus and a columnist with the Toronto Sun, of course, member of the Canadian News Hall of Fame. He's our feature guest and we'll uh, we'll kick around a few campaign issues and uh, some campaign blunders. Plenty of those. I don't know if we have time to get through all of the uh, the blunders. Turns out who would have known that uh, Justin uh, Trudeau's uh, greatest campaign adversary would be uh, Justin Trudeau. All right. Uh, Also, of course, we'll get to um, an episode or an installment of Heroes and Villains. I want you to hear a piece of audio from a a retired U.S. Navy SEAL and uh, basically giving a speech. It's the speech that he wishes President Beijing Grampy Joe Biden would give, basically apologizing for the uh, debacle in Afghanistan. That's in our Heroes and Villains slot. And... uh, what else do we? Oh, did I mention the German phrase of the day? Always a highlight. Always a highlight. News, not in the news. The news. All right. First order of business. This is a sad one, folks. Charlie Watts, legendary drummer for the Rolling Stones since 1963, passed away today, age 80. Loose skeezes. Does that make you feel old or what? Well, I mean, you know, when I passed over the hill at 60, I said, well, I'm in the kill zone now. And it's just kill a matter zone. Of, well, I mean, you know, the string doesn't go forever. I mean, if you're lucky, 
you get a good, a longer life than 80. But I look at 80 as, wow, you know, if you can only make it that far. And for me, it's 15 years away, right? Right. Well, particularly, you know, living the rock and roll lifestyle, although Charlie Watts kind of uh, eschewed that whole lifestyle. He was more of an English gentleman, uh, you know, didn't get into the drugs and the rock and roll, married uh, to the same woman he married in 1964. Kind of a very stable uh, influence, I think, on the rest of the Stones. But I, I'm really, really saddened by this. But I, I saw the Rolling Stones perform live happily, luckily, uh, five, at least five times. Going wow. back to the uh, the late 1980s. And uh, yeah, that was that one uh, kind of stings today, learning about Charlie. They were just was, gearing up, gearing up to go on the road again in the U.S. And Charlie Watts had said, I just had a, a, a medical procedure, a medical surgery performed. And he said he couldn't join them on on uh, on this tour. Uh, but, you know, I was hoping to see them all again one more time. Not to well, be. So let me ask you this. You've seen the Stones five times. Yes. How's your hearing? What's that? How is your hearing? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> little yeah, tinnitus, maybe? You know, I'll tell you what did more damage. This is kind of an inside uh, baseball story. What did more more damage to my hearing over the years was not rock concerts. It was sitting next to legendary technical producer Jimmy Koshan <laughs> for 15 years because he would just play, you know, the uh, the audio in the studio was just like to 11, as they used to say, to 11. God, God bless Jimmy Koshan. So I saw them in 75 uh-huh. at Rich Stadium in Buffalo. Ooh. And I, not a word of a lie, it took the next day for my my ears to stop ringing. Right, right. You know, it was very loud in the stadium. And the, the opening act, Bobby Womack, was Bobby outst- Womack, yes. Yeah, he was outstanding. He, he lit up the crowd while we were waiting for the stones to come out. So it was a good day. Right. Kind of an R&B performer. I remember Bobby Womack. Oh, yeah. No, he was a huge talent. Uh, I think he's still performing. I'd have to look it up. Uh, Uh, I I think he passed away. He had a he made a a comeback album a couple of years ago and then passed shortly after. Oh, as far as I can remember. But uh, sorry to be the one to break it to you. Yeah. But, you know, if, if your ears aren't ringing after a concert, man, that's not rock and roll. Right. Well, but, you you know, as you advance, you know, over the hill, as I have. Right. You'd like to hear a little bit better than I do at this point. No, it's true. Yeah. That's when you start going to the uh, the unplugged versions of those concerts <laughs> where they're playing acoustic guitars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, sad to hear. But, you know, he had a good run at it. And I'll say to be a good, have a good family life. Not, you know, the uh, complete debauchery of the other members of the Stones. Exactly. There you go. Uh, Outliving outliving Keith Richards at this point, which is, huh? How does that work? Well, it's that old joke. You know, the only after a nuclear apocalypse, the only thing standing will be the milk cans at Coney Island and Keith Richards. (laughs) There you go. All right. Got to ask you, undocumented residence day. Now, I know you, you you talk a lot about and I agree with you about how they change the they, the left, the progressives, the radicals pro- change the language. So, you know, in this day and age where everyone is being now expected to show their papers that they're vaccinated, you must have your documents. You must have your papers. Otherwise, you know, you're a horrible person. Today, they're celebrating undocumented residence day. North America's most ridiculous mayor and his silly council undocumented residents day. They, they used to call them illegal immigrants, Lou. Yeah. And I, you know, I look at it this way. I say, well, first thing you do is you legalize pot and then you, you know, release stupid ideas. 
to a population that's been medicated, isolated and medicated. So, you know, it's a great control mechanism. Do I agree with it? Listen, if you need a labor force that is not showing up from the domestic population, then you got to give them a ticket to ride. Say, come on in, you know, come on in. Here's your ticket. Go to work. Right. Right. And, and we once- did, we have that. We have temporary worker visas. You know, yeah. we have it, it happens yeah. every. Yeah. But I think one of the things you got to realize about Canada is that we have an overarching administrative state. So look, for example, at the people that served our country in Afghanistan. So domestic residents and citizens of Afghanistan trying to get out in, in the face of the meat grinder called the Taliban. And what's the big hang up? Oh, the administration, the paperwork. I mean, you know, you could take that and put it where the sun don't shine. Right. You can get people off the danger zone, move them to another jurisdiction, put a compound out. And they're very good at putting up temporary fences and all that and then do the paperwork. Right. It's so true. No, 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 no. We have no we can't go another moment until this box is checked. You know, get out of here. It's true. We, We can't get the most basic fundamental things done in this country, whether it's ensuring that our indigenous uh, brothers and sisters have drinkable water uh, to providing, you know, the military, the people that are, you know, standing on guard for our freedoms, can't give them proper, you know, guns that will fire effectively, can't put them in uh, aircraft that aren't falling apart. Uh, We can't get this. We can't build pipelines. We can't get anything done in this country. And again, right. yeah, it's the administrative state. Yeah. And you can't export that. Right. When you go to, you know, potential trading partners and we we have all this administration we can sell to you. So, oh, no, no, you keep that. And when I hear the political promises this time during an election, of course, about affordable housing, the biggest barrier to affordable housing is red tape. Indeed. Right? So good luck. Good luck for those people that don't have housing, because if you're waiting for the elected officials to bring it to you, you won't get it. Got to ask you, I was mentioning or I was talking to Drew Allen, a conservative, young conservative living in California. Go figure. He's like a unicorn, but they do exist uh, about these. This um, student in Washington state being forced to wear a um, an ankle monitor because she's unvaccinated. And this is uh, if she's going to participate on the high school volleyball team. She has to wear an ankle monitor because she's unvaccinated. Your thoughts? Well, I'd rather get a chip myself, right? Just like insert the chip and, you know, collect whatever data you want. Because those ankle monitors, like you're playing volleyball, is it really going to enhance your performance? No, it's going to be a drag on your performance. And in fact, if I was on the opposing team, I'd say, no, I think that's a performance enhancing device on her ankle. She can't play. (laughs) So, you know, that's the way I play the game. Yesterday, when I mentioned that the masks that are so controversial these days could be a fashion accessory. Yes. Right. I I told you I have a Spider-Man one and I got a Simpsons mask that Madeline made for me. And I, I agree. Okay, they're not effective in terms of preventing the transmission of this, that or the other thing. But, you know, I got some uh, some blowback and basically say, no, you know, it's not uh, it's just psyops. And so I said, listen, it's the only opportunity you have to have like ads, ad space 
on everybody going by you. Why don't you create a line of masks with your message, political or otherwise, right on somebody's face? If they agree with you, they will be out in public and they won't have to say a word. There you go. It'll all That's be a- right there. Leave it to a free market uh, disciple of free market enterprise to come up with an idea like that. Yeah, we should all start selling ad space on our faces. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you don't have to tattoo it, right? Like in the old days, you'd have to go and, you know, paint it or what have you. This is just like on and off, right? There you go. I run this in the store here. You know, don't shop here. I don't like it. You know, I don't wear masks because I like to, but because I don't need you beating me to a pulp in the aisle. You know, whatever your message is, right? What's your message, Lou? What are you going to have embo- embroidered across your uh, your mug? Member. Member? <laughs> member. I'm a member. All right. A member of what? The human race, I hope. But, oh. you know, <laughs> my status is always, you know, in question. It is. Uh, well, we're all uh, in question at this point. All right. right, we've. Oh, geez. We almost uh, ran out of time here. Quickly, the German phrase of the day. Bring it on. All right. Here we go. German phrase of the day. Nun sitzen wir hier in der Tinter. Nun sitzen wir hier in der Tinter. Hey, that's go. a mouthful. Not bad, you know, eh? Uh, well, it, you know, you're, you're, oh, you're, your German has improved over the course of this feature. I and, hope so. And I'm hoping that Dave, uh, David Hasselhoff will invite yes. you to Oktoberfest to share it with him. All right. Yeah, I'll be there for that. No question. <laughs> Nun sitzen wir hier in der Tinter. The literal translation, now we sit here in the ink. That's the literal translation. Now we sit here in the ink. The meaning, we're in trouble. Yeah, We're think, in trouble. I think ink can be uh, used. A stink can be used instead of ink. I'm going to let you it. go. Get All to right. the traffic. Talk to you tomorrow. Happy capitalism. All right, buddy. Happy capitalism. Heroes and villains on the other side. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Heroes and villains. All right. Welcome back. So in our hero slot today is a retired U.S. Navy SEAL. His name is Jocko Willink. And he posted uh, this audio on uh, Facebook and Instagram. It's already garnered over one and a half million views in less than uh, 24 hours. Basically, he's delivering a speech. A former U.S. Navy SEAL delivering a speech he wishes he would hear from President Joe Biden taking responsibility for the uh, debacle uh, in the um, aftermath of the pullout of Afghanistan. Let's have a listen to our uh, hero today, Jocko Willink, U.S. Navy SEAL, retired. Good evening. I wanted to give you an update on the current situation in Afghanistan. As you know, we were set to leave Afghanistan this month. And as we began the final drawdown, I made some critical errors. Namely, I underestimated the strength of the Taliban and I overestimated the strength and capability of the friendly Afghan forces. This was my fault. And due to my mistake, The Taliban has taken control of Afghanistan. 
There are reports now that ISIS and Al-Qaeda are working alongside them. Unfortunately, there are tens of thousands of Americans on the ground there, as well as friends and allies of America on the ground. And these people, Americans and our allies, are all stranded. And that is my fault. But they will not be stranded for long. In the next 48 hours, America will be in control of most major airports in Afghanistan. Any resistance we meet from the Taliban or otherwise when we seize these airports will be destroyed completely and without mercy. From those airports, we will conduct rapid strike rescue missions until we have recovered and evacuated all our citizens allies, and friends. Any person that interferes with these operations will be killed. We will also recover or destroy all aircraft, vehicles, weapons, and sensitive equipment that we left behind. Any person utilizing, guarding, or located in close proximity to these weapons or equipment will be killed. Once we have evacuated all friendly personnel and recovered or destroyed the weapons and equipment left behind, we will depart Afghanistan. But we will continue to monitor everything that happens in Afghanistan through our ground and airborne surveillance equipment. Terrorist training camps or activity will be targeted and destroyed. Gross violations of human rights will be stopped through overwhelming force. And any group in Afghanistan fighting for freedom, liberty, and basic human rights will be supported through special operations forces and ruthless precision air power. We will continue that dedicated support until the enemy is no longer a threat to humanity or to the good people of Afghanistan. May God bless America and may God have mercy on the souls of our enemy because we will not. There you go. That's retired U.S. Navy SEAL Jocko Willink and uh, his speech, a speech he wished he had heard or wishes he had heard from President Joe Biden taking full responsibility for the complete fiasco that was the withdrawal, U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. And then the measures he would like to see America take uh, to, I guess, sort of ameliorate the uh, the damage that has been done by that uh, by that pullout. And again, that garnered one and a half million views on Facebook and Instagram in less than 24 hours. So that's our hero today, Jocko Willink, U.S. retired Navy SEAL. All right, when we come back, so the uh, the prime minister, or I should say he's not the prime minister right now, he is a candidate, liberal candidate, uh, Justin Trudeau, decided to call an election in the middle of a supposed healthcare emergency, a pandemic, in the middle of a crisis in Afghanistan. Most Canadians, according to the polls, don't want this election, and a clear majority believe that Trudeau called this election in order to simply consolidate power, win a majority. How is this all working out for him? We'll find out next. Our feature guest is 
uh, editor emeritus and a columnist at the Toronto Sun, Lori Goldstein. Back with more in a minute. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. So barely a week into the election campaign, many of us are sitting around scratching our heads, wondering why are we here? Why are we facing an election? Uh, let's uh, discuss further with Lori Goldstein, editor emeritus, columnist with the Toronto Sun and a distinguished member of the Canadian News Hall of Fame. Lori, thank you for joining me again. How are you? Pleasure to be here. Thanks. So uh, to that question, why are we here? Uh, I've seen polls. Most Canadians, you know, they don't want an election. A clear majority uh, are very suspicious uh, as to the motives of the liberals. They think they, they simply want to consolidate power. They want to win a majority. Why did they call an election? Because Trudeau thought it was his best choice, his best um, uh, chance to get a majority. I, I mean, it's absolutely right. I think we're talking about a poll that came out today that 69% of the public said he could have waited for uh, more than a year, and 62% think it's a power grab. And that's what it was. Uh, I mean, I think it's wrong to say that Trudeau had no motive for the election or, or hasn't explained the, uh, his motive. It's obvious what he did. He thought that now... Uh, throwing out $40 billion of our money. The Globe and Mail tallied up all those pre-election announcements, more than $40 billion while he was going across the country. And, you know, he thought that he would get in by inertia, uh, that you know, the conservative leader was unpopular, that the NDP leader, uh, you know, wasn't experienced enough. And, um, and the polls, you know, before the election, some of them showed he was ahead of the conservatives by nine, 10 points, which would be a majority government. But then as soon as the uh, election was called, uh, that seemed to shift. And, um, I mean, one of the, one of the first factors was he called it the same day that Kabul fell to the Taliban. And then suddenly we had this problem of hundreds of, um, Afghan interpreters and allies to Canadian troops who were stranded and uh, soldiers who had served there. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Who've been trying to get these people out for years? Um, you know, we're saying you got to get these people out. They they helped us. Uh, um, they're going to die. Their families are going to die if the Taliban gets a hold of them. Didn't really have an answer for that. Um, other countries were sending in you know helicopters, commandos um, uh, to pick up their people. Um, and in, and it's not funny, but but you know people uh, our Afghan allies were told literally to wear red and come to the front of the gate, uh, gate and be loud. So you mean, like, you may as well make a target for the Taliban. Precisely. So that wasn't good. 
That well, wasn't good. You, you say that he wants a majority, and, and I, I, I don't understand why he even feels he needs that, because he has... He has two willing partners in the, with the NDP and the, and the bloc. I'm wondering, and maybe I'm overthinking this, does it have more to do with control over committees and hearings and whether this might go back to, uh, let's say, for example, we have more committee hearings, um, investigations into the We Charity or perhaps even more damaging uh, the uh, the infiltration of this level four lab in, in Winnipeg by uh, people with close links to the Chinese communists. Is it possible that that's what he's concerned about, controlling these committees? It's interesting. I was talking to a conservative strategist yesterday, a pretty senior one, and that's it's interesting. That's exactly what he said. He thinks that a lot of this stuff, the, all this money that's been farmed out in pre-election promises and all these things that were like sort of hovering there before he called the vote of, um, you know, the, the way that the... I mean, Trudeau, who promised in 2015 to have an open and transparent government, was suing the speaker, who's a liberal MP, to deny one of the the committees and the House of Commons itself documents which um, the committee and the Commons and the speaker were requesting about the the two scientists were fired from the Winnipeg High Security Lab. And now, now what's interesting is that once the election was called, um, the liberals quietly dropped that. And the reason they dropped that was that all of that stuff and the motivations and the court things, all that ended with the election. So uh, what would have to happen now with a new government is it would all have to start again. So, you know, he stalled it until he could call the vote, which killed the inquiry. Um, if he wins a majority, of course, it'll be dead and buried. You know, it'll it'll never see the light of day. Um, you know, if something surprising happens, um, if the other parties um, uh, still have, um, you know, still have a uh, control of the House, if it's a minority parliament, then he's, he's going to have a lot of problems. And I think he realized he was going to have a lot of problems if he just continued with the minority government. But in terms of legislation, as you said, um, you know, Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, had, had put through um, everything that, that he wanted and said he could work with the government before the election. Don't call an election. Um, uh, so, you know, in, in that sense, but what you, you got all of your your um, pandemic stuff through the House. Uh, that was all ap- approved. In, in many cases, both uh, the major opposition parties um, approved it. But he certainly, as you point out, had a working majority on issue by issue, whether it was the bloc or whether it was the NDP or even occasionally uh, the conservatives. So um, uh, by his own words, there was no need for this election other than that he wants a majority. And, and now you're delving into, well, why does he want a majority? And is it possible that there's things that Trudeau and the liberals know that we don't know that look really bad and um, are sort of simmering out there um, if he doesn't get returned with the majority? That's very possible. Well, if you were discussing that with a conservative strategist, maybe it behooves uh, him to you know, convince the conservative leader to start uh, talking about that on the uh, the campaign trail. We'll come back. More of my conversation with Lori Goldstein, editor emeritus, columnist with the Toronto Sun right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m. With Lori Goldstein, editor emeritus, columnist, Toronto Sun. Follow him on Twitter at Sun Lori. Sun, obviously, S U N, at Sun Lori. Lori, L O R R I E, at Sun Lori. Uh, so we had this uh, fiasco where Chrystia Freeland 
gets caught red-handed manipulating a video. It was a Q&A uh, exchange between a reporter and conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. He was asked about, I guess, the level of his commitment to uh, universal health care. Yes, he did mention private health care, which is simply it's a reality in this country, particularly in Quebec. The, edit, the, uh, the, the exchange was edited to make it sound as if O'Toole was uh, more in favor of, of privatizing health care. Uh, again, Christy Freeland was caught red handed. It was uh, labeled on, on Twitter as, you know, manipulated video and so forth. And then someone asked Justin Trudeau about this and he doubled down on, on this uh, manipulated video. Jacob, let's uh, have a listen to that. Twitter says that a video that was posted by Christia Freeland has been manipulated and now counsel, legal counsel for the Conservative Party is asking for an immediate investigation into that video. What's really important here is that in the middle of a pandemic, Aaron O'Toole came out unequivocally in support of private health care in terms of for-profit health care. We posted the entire interview on it uh, on uh, uh, I, I, we posted the entire interview in its entirety uh, and I encourage all Canadians to take a look to see what Aaron O'Toole has to say about what he sees on the future of healthcare. All right, Laurie. Uh, I mean, is that video going to or that uh, response from Justin Trudeau doubling down on a manipulated video? Is that going to damage him at all? It means that he can't get out. He couldn't get out his message that day. I was surprised that he just didn't say, you know, okay, we'll we'll take it down because that made it a story for another day. And you know, it, it, it look, it, there are people who will vote liberal no matter what, and there are people who genuinely sway between the various parties. And um, what made that a story was not Trudeau or Christopher Freeland saying that um, O'Toole supports. Um, Private health care. I mean, you know, the liberals, liberals basically accuse the conservatives of three things, and they've done it for decades. One is that they're going to bring back abortion. They're going to make abortion illegal. Uh, two is same-sex marriages, which has sort of died down now. And the third one was private health care. And, you know, um, so, so look at what Trudeau said. He said that, that O'Toole had announced this in an election. Well, no, they were using a tape that was done uh, more than a year ago in a question and answer session that went on for a long time. In the first, um, in the first tweet that Christopher, Christopher Freeland put out, which is the one everybody reads, you know, there are threads, but the one that is always read the most is the first one. And, and yeah, they basically took a two minute and 13 second answer, busted it down to about 21 seconds, and it didn't provide the context of the answer. What he was asked was, would you be willing to let the provinces look at uh, experimenting with profit, nonprofit, um, uh, and public health care in order to improve the system within the context of a universal health care system? And he said yes, and then he went on, and this is what they deliberately never highlighted. And he said yes, uh, the system needs to be improved, but public uh, access has to remain paramount. Okay. So in other words, obviously they've misled it. Then, yeah, they said they, you know, they, they showed the whole video later. It, it's all, it was all, it was all, you know, it was sleazy. <laughs> That's what it was. And, and so um, is it the end of the world? No. Um, you know, there are, there are, there are tweets out every day from the parties that are not 
factually correct that show their opponents in the worst light uh, possible. The conservatives do it to the liberals. The liberals do it to the NDP. The NDP, like that's nothing new. What what caused this, though, the reason it was discussed was not that the allegation came from anywhere. It came from Twitter. Twitter looked at it and went, nope, that's manipulated um, media. And they have a whole policy on that. They didn't think it was so bad that they removed it, as they did, for example, when they started with Donald Trump. But they thought that it, it was misleading enough to label it. And, and remember that this is what Trudeau wanted. He wanted social media providers to patrol their, their feeds and to decide when things were inappropriate or required a warning label. He wanted to uh, legislate that in legislation, which, you know, was pending and then all died because of the um, because of the election. Uh, but that that's what he wanted. So, OK, now look at what happens. I'm sure uh, Trudeau and Freeland liberals feel very hard done by that Twitter did this. And they will argue, I guess, with some justification that, yeah, but what about the conservatives said this and that and they took this and, and that and they manipulated it? Um, OK, well, you know, this is what you folks wanted. You wanted, um, you know, you wanted social media providers to police uh, their feeds and make decisions about what was appropriate, what wasn't, what deserved a warning, what didn't. Um, Okay, welcome to it. Here it is. Um, I think what it might do is when the election is over, uh, reinforce the arguments of people who say you got to be very careful with this stuff. Where, you know, I, I mean, you know, the, the fining people for for what they're saying on the Internet and, and like, really, um, you know, um, uh, stuff that's hateful, blah, blah, blah. We have laws against hate. What, what are you talking about? Um, you know, I mean, look, a number of us who are pundits sort of wonder, well, gee, if I say this, am I going to get, you know, am I going to have this label put on me by social media? Um, so I think what it also showed was the danger of the liberal mentality on this issue, that wise elites can decide what's acceptable for people to say and not to say. And, and here we're seeing uh, an early example of it. All right, Laurie, we'll take a final timeout. Come back and uh, chat some more. Laurie Goldstein, Toronto Sun, back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Laurie Goldstein, editor emeritus, columnist with the Toronto Sun. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Sun Laurie, at Sun Laurie. Uh, do you think that conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has done enough in the minds of, let's say, his base to distinguish himself and his policies and his approach from the Liberal Party? Because when you look, when you go up and down, you know, the list and, uh, and, and uh, issues, they match up in many areas, whether it's, uh, you know, handling COVID, uh, whether it's, you know, a housing program, virtually an identical uh, housing policy. I mean, it's Trudeau's the same one he had four years ago. He's dusting it off and offering it up again. But, uh, you know, carbon taxes, you go down the list. I don't know that the base sees much difference between these two other than style. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the big one was a carbon tax, which, of course, is very uh, controversial to the conservative base. And, you know, he's got now he said it's not a carbon tax, but no, it, it basically it is a carbon tax. Um, in some ways, it's even more restrictive 
than what the what the Joe government's doing. Because in the in the conservative one, um, you know, you, you get to buy these certain products and you can use the taxes off that. To, I mean, you know, so you know what now people have to figure out which uh, products they can buy so they can get a tax break and all that. Um, I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to what you say. I think that um, uh, in in our politics today. Um, uh, again, I had another very smart person who knows about politics saying, when you really look at you know the past number of elections, whether a liberal or a conservative government was did, did society change? Did did, did uh, situations that were problems for a long time really change? Is there anything that was done revolutionary? Did did, did people's lives, the average life of average person? How much did it change because whether it was a conservative or a liberal government? And while you can say there are some differences, some programs, you know, so social programs became more generous or less generous, I think the honest answer is no. Um, I think that what you have essentially are are um, uh, two parties in Canadian elections so far, because only the Liberals and Conservatives have ever won. Um, two parties are, are campaigning on the basis of what they perceive is um, where the vast majority of people are in Canada on issues. And it seems to me that the vast majority of people in Canada are, um, you know, uh, socially pretty liberal, pretty live and let live, and and fiscally Conservative, at least that's the way it used to be. Now we have the pandemic and we have these enormous um, uh, debts that we're going to have to uh, pay back. So, but, but I think it's still, I mean, I mean, what do people want in this election? What did they want before the election? They want to get out of this pandemic so they can have their lives back again. They're worried about the high cost of living. And, and you know, and, and those are, um, you know, and, and campaigning to deal with those, they're doing it. In a very similar way, um, if we're just looking at liberals and conservatives, uh, they're spending money we don't have. Um, they're um, they both have carbon taxes. Uh, they both care about the environment. They both care about making life better for the average uh, 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 person. Um, although, although I would say that, that I think the the inflation issue. I mean, inflation has started to to you know rise significantly. Um, I think and we have a prime minister who doesn't care, who, who stated, uh, I don't yeah, think much that, about monetary policy. Yeah, that that was to me, um, uh, again, you know, in the real world, not that significant, except for it seemed to me what happened was that he got a question he couldn't handle, which was about monetary policy and the impact of monetary policy on inflation. And would you allow inflation to stay higher for this, that and the other thing? The idea of a prime minister saying he doesn't think about monetary policy. No, no. He doesn't set monetary policy, but monetary policy is all about. And if you go to the Bank of Canada's website that does think about monetary policy, it's about keeping inflation under control so that people's, you know, the money that people earn has has a a value that investors can be sure that when they invest, it's not all going to be. So in in other words, no, no, you you don't have you don't set monetary, but but to argue that, that you don't think about it. I mean, David Deutsch, the former um, uh, uh, head of the Bank of, of Canada, said, well, A, I wish he would retract that because it was, you know, it was wrong. 
B, the government has a bunch of decisions to make about monetary policy uh, in, in its you know, talks with the, uh, with the um, uh, Bank of Canada. And then he said, I wasn't surprised because Trudeau, one, never cared about monetary policy. It appears that Trudeau, two, doesn't uh, care about monetary policy. And then he said, unfortunately, uh, you know, that was pretty devastating for people who were paying attention. Right. Um, Quick, and, uh, and yeah, you know, it was a flippant answer. It was a dumb thing to say. Well, he does a lot of that. Uh, a quick question about the debate. The first, the English debate happening September 9th. Um, Max Bernier from the People's Party excluded because of the, well, the uh, the commission has decided it didn't meet the requirements. But yet, we'll, we'll, I'll have to sit and listen to the uh, the leader of the, the Bloc Quebecois. I can't vote for them. Most of the country can't vote for the Bloc, the majority of the country. Uh, we have to listen. He gets to be on the debate stage. Do you think an argument can be made, uh, certainly given, you know, the latest some of the latest polls seem to show uh, a bit of a surge for the People's Party, particularly out west in Alberta, that that Max should be on that debate stage. What what I would say is that is that the the rules for these debates are arbitrary. They're all over the map. Um, uh, for example, uh, Max Bernie doesn't have a seat. Uh, Elizabeth May didn't have a seat in 2008. She didn't um, get her first seat until 2011. Uh, the other parties wanted to exclude her. A number of Canadians got angry about it. She got in. Um, this this issue about uh, he doesn't have, what is it, 4% or something? Uh, I mean, the, the People's Party, well, there's polls right now that show 3.6, 5.7, you know, hovering in that area. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the main reason that uh, Maxine Bernier won't be there is because the people who are uh, controlling this debate don't like his views. That's all. They just don't like his views. That they think they're you know a whole bunch of horrible things. So whether whether we have him or not, I, I think that the larger issue is, and this is happening over and over again. We're going to have five people and four questioners, right? So you're going to have nine people. Um, and and I, I guess I'd ask your audience, well, how productive did you find the previous debates? Did, did they help you make up your mind or, or didn't they? And to me, what they become is sort of they're just these canned, you know, everybody's got talking points. Everybody talks to each other about talking points. I mean, whoever, how many debates? Maybe we should have more. Maybe we should have, you know, debates where I would love to see a debate between O'Toole and Trudeau and a debate between O'Toole and Singh and, and a debate between Singh and, and Trudeau. Um, because those, I mean, only two of those parties have ever, caught, have ever had a, a government. And, and the other one has had times when it's been influential in terms of minority government, as it did in the, in the party that Trudeau uh, dissolved. Um, you know, the Green Party, I always thought they should be included, but this time they're just self-destructing. Uh, I mean, the leader has just been, you know, eviscerated by her own party. It's just disgusting and shameful. Um, so, But in terms of productive discussion, I haven't seen in years a debate where I thought it was really a productive discussion that helped me make up my mind. I like your idea for a new debate format. I think that would be very effective, one-on-one. Laurie, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this. Always a pleasure. Take care. Laurie Goldstein, editor emeritus, columnist, Toronto Sun. You can follow him on Twitter, at SunLaurie. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. Back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again. We'll push back against climate change alarmism with Tony Heller. News not in the news, the German word of the day, and much, much more. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.